We're going to be looking at Luke 7, if you want to go ahead and turn over to that passage, verses 36 through verse 50. So it's a long passage that we're going to be looking at, but uh, we want to be able to understand, and I'm pulling out my glasses now, Eddie, just so that we can remember that I have found some age on the eyes over the years. But what a joy to be able to come and open the Word of God together to be able to see what God is doing in his word to draw us closer to the fullness of Christ. And so it is a special day. It's a strange thing in our culture to have so much emphasis on a dumb football game. I mean, I'm sorry for those who are big football fans. I didn't mean to say dumb. At least I didn't say stupid. I mean, it's a dumb game, but uh, everybody's focused on it and figuring out what their menu is going to be, dinner parties and all kinds of stuff for this afternoon. And some might even actually watch the contest. Who knows what might happen there. But uh, this is also Valentine's week. Guys, have you made reservations yet? And have you bought what you're going to buy? And if you have not, why not? And when will you? So that's enough for that. But we do know that we are in a culture that does love to throw a party and does love to have big things happen uh, around us so that we can get dressed up and look good and do what we want to do. And, and we're coming up on springtime and you can start getting ready for weddings. And you start getting ready for, uh, for proms and parties and all kinds of things that are happening in the next few months. And we enter into a season that, frankly, if you read through the Gospels, you get the idea that Jesus loved a good party. He loved going to dinner meetings. He loved going to weddings. He loved all those kind of things. He loved being with people. And they weren't always what we would call the right kind of people, according to those who were around him. He didn't, didn't really bother with all of that. He just loved to be a, a part of a party. And today we're going to look at a passage that's very familiar to us. And it's about a dinner party with someone who, frankly, invited Jesus for reasons that we don't even really fully understand, except that it was sort of a polite cultural thing to do. He was a Pharisee in the city. He had a responsibility to uphold the integrity of his reputation. And so Jesus was a local known entity. So need to have him in my home. And so he invited Jesus to come over for dinner and a bunch of his buddies showed up. And here we have a strange scene emerge around the dinner table. Something happened that no one anticipated, except Jesus, who of course knew what was happening. But let me begin reading in verse 36 of Luke 7, and we're going to get the context for this. And then we're going to walk through the, the process of understanding what this is all about and what Jesus wants us to understand here. One of the Pharisees, he doesn't name him yet, he's eventually going to call him Simon. But one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, and this is code, <laughs> you, you understand what he's saying. She was not a woman of great reputation, okay? She was a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, hear that, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. 
And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you judge rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. Let's pray together. Father, when we hear a, a story like this from your word and, and try to begin to understand the dynamics that were going on in that room, Lord, our, our minds fail us. We don't really comprehend all that happened. But what we do see, what we do know, what we do understand leads us to appreciate that there is clearly a distinction that you want us to recognize here between those who have loved little and those who have loved much and the reasons why. And so, Father, I ask you this morning as we come to this text and unpack it together, as we see your hand leading the way to understand more fully what you have done for us through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we will appreciate more fully than ever what it means to choose to love well, to adore you fully, and to withhold nothing of ourselves from you. For you are the Lord of all, the one who forgives and the one who makes all things new. So Lord, speak to us. For the glory of your name, we want you to speak in a way that we can be transformed into the kind of people you want us to be, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, you got two main characters here. Three, if you count Jesus, we want to count him, of course. But two who are responding to him, and their responses to him are incredibly different. And Jesus helps explain why that is so different by the parable that he tells. And we're, we'll see this as we go through this. But, but basically, we have one person who is entertaining Jesus for dinner that night. And we don't know exactly what was in his mind except that he was being polite. He was being respectful. And yet he was being very distant. He didn't want to give the impression that he was doing things for this fake prophet, of course, as he sees him that would put him in bad stead with the rest of his Pharisee brothers and the others who were at the table with him. And so as Jesus says, he didn't even give the common courtesies of some place to wash his feet when he came in. We see from the upper room that that's a part of the culture. 
where Jesus ended up having to wash the feet of his disciples because there was no one who was the host to wash the feet of the disciples. So Jesus did it. Here, we see that there was a cultural tradition. That, that was what everyone did. This Pharisee didn't wash Jesus' feet or even provide the water to do so. There was the anointing of head with oil as, a, as a, an act of, of courtesy, an act of, of recognition of the welcomeness of your gift. That didn't happen. He goes on through and explains all the things that this respectable Pharisee did not do for him. And so he helps us understand that this Pharisee had indeed invited him over, which is more than we can say for a lot of people in Jerusalem at that time. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus at all. But he invited him over, but he made sure that he was keeping a polite and very respectable distance from Jesus, perhaps out of curiosity, perhaps out of just a sense of intrigue as to what was motivating this man. We don't know. But the Pharisee who invited him saw what Jesus was doing and saw this woman washing his feet, pouring out the ointment on his feet. And, and his true perspective on Jesus comes out. He says, if this guy was truly a prophet, if he really was who everybody is saying he is, he'd know, wouldn't he? He'd know what kind of woman this is. He wouldn't let her get in the room with him. And yet he's allowing her to touch him. He's allowing her to, to do things that are very much intimate kinds of things. And how is he doing? He obviously is not that kind of person who would be qualified to be a prophet. And then Jesus, although the man has never said this to anybody else, it says he said this to himself. Jesus responds to his thoughts, which is a fascinating thing. Do you know what that's like? You've thought something that Jesus went, really? <laughs> you, you're going to think that. You belong to me. You're going to think that. And so Jesus says, hey, uh, I'm gonna, let me tell you a story. And I love the guy's response, which is kind of a cryptic thing. Say it, teacher. What does that mean? Say it, teacher. Go ahead. Tell me your story. This can't be much because I've already concluded you're not a prophet. You're not anybody that I need to be concerned about. So go ahead and tell me what you got. Throw me your best shot. And so Jesus points out in this story why the woman felt the way she did and why the Pharisee felt the way he did. Now, I don't know that the Pharisee ever got it. I don't know if he understood what Jesus just told him. It's not clear that he had any real clarity in terms of what the point was. But here's the thing. He says, those who have a sense of gratitude for grace are the quickest to express that to the Savior. Those who think they deserve heaven, those who think they deserve their religious due, have no interest in doing more than the quiet, reserved politeness toward God and his son that's required to be socially acceptable in their context. Now, this is not exclusive to Jesus' day. Over the, the eight years or so since I've retired from Providence, I've had a chance to preach in probably 40, 50 churches around different places. And one of the things I've noticed is not always very commendable. As a matter of fact, I was preaching at one church several years ago, and I was being led into the worship center by one of the pastors who was escorting me in. And we've been praying together in the office, and we're coming to the, to the uh, auditorium where we're going to have the worship time. And as we're walking in, a man came up to us. He doesn't know who I am. He knows who the pastor is. But he walks up to the pastor, ignores me, basically kind of moves me out of the way, and sticks his finger in the pastor's face and says, what have you and the other pastor done for me this week? 
I just stepped back up. I've never seen a lightning bolt hit somebody, but I thought that would be the time when it might happen. <laughs> what have they done for you this week? You've got to be kidding me. He didn't see his attitude being such an absolute disregard for the wonder and the glory of Jesus that they were getting ready to worship. He didn't see that he was supposed to be serving others instead of looking for how he was going to be served. He had the attitude of this Pharisee. It was very disconcerting. People who understand how far they are from the glory of God are crushed by the weight of that and cannot find enough ways to express their gratitude and their love for the Savior. This Pharisee didn't have any of that. His role as a Pharisee put him in the position as a religious leader to think that he had it all together and pity the poor fools who were not like him. That was Jesus speaking to him when he gave the parable. And he says, here's what has to happen. You've got to understand that there is a, a grace involved in how people approach the Father. There is gratitude that is necessary for those who get what they do not deserve and do not get what they do deserve. There's a grace in Christ Jesus that makes it possible for people to come to him and meet the Father through him. And the debtor who owed much and the debtor who owed little, the one who was forgiven much is going to be much more likely to be grateful than the one who forgave little. And so it is in this religious context of this man. There was a, a polite, a respectful and yet, arm's length distance from who Jesus was. That's response one. Write that in your mind. That's response one. Now, in case you're curious about where we're going, that's not the right response. <laughs> I think you got that one. You kind of pick it up. Warner, we got that. Move on. Okay, good. So what is the right way to go? It's this passionate and reverent devotion to Jesus we see in the woman. She shouldn't know how to do this. She's a woman of the city, a sinner who has no religious context at all in her life. She has been disbarred from any kind of connectedness with the social structures around her. But something had happened. You ever been curious as to how she happened to come to the party that night? How'd she happen to get there? I was curious to find out, okay, since she heard about where he was going to be and she made her way to the dinner party. Who told her? How did she think in her mind that she had a right to go to that place? Well, if you look back in the scriptures to what else was happening earlier that day, the book of Matthew gives us sort of a little snapshot that's similar to the snapshot in Luke 7. Earlier the day, John the Baptist's disciples had come to Jesus and said, are you the one we are to expect or are we to expect another? And so those two passages are in Matthew 11 and Luke 7. Luke 7 comes right on to the fact that they come into the city and, I mean, come into the table and they have a, a dinner together, uh, starting in verse 36. That's where our passage picked up. But in Matthew 11, there's another couple of things that happen. And one of those things is in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus speaking to the crowd around him says something fascinating. Verse 28, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. I will give you peace. I will lift your burden off of you. Come to me. 
So if somebody says, what are you doing here? Jesus invited me. He doesn't have the right to invite you to somebody else's house for dinner. Jesus invited me. And I could see the discussion at the door when this lady shows up and whoever's keeping the door says, what are you, what are you doing here? Jesus invited me. Well, you don't have time to go in and say, Jesus, did you invite this woman? Are you sure you knew what you were doing? But the lady gets into the room. She comes because she has had a fire lit in her soul that says, here is someone who knows me and I've never even met him before. Here is someone who is inviting me to come to him and I cannot for the life of me think of any reason why I shouldn't go. He has asked me to come and he will take care of things that I never knew until this moment that there was going to be a solution for. I thought I was doomed and damned for the rest of my day and throughout eternity until this man said, come unto me. All who are weary and heavy laden. And so she came. Now, if you're familiar with the, the Lord's Supper scenario when Jesus met with his guys the last time, you, you're familiar with how they ate together in, in that part of the world at that season. They didn't have dining room tables with Queen Anne, you know, cherry tables. I mean, they didn't have that. They had low tables and they had cushions. And when you went in to dine, you would recline at table and you would prop up on one elbow and you would eat with the other hand and your feet would be sticking out the back. Somehow or another, she had found her way around the table to the place where Jesus was. And as she is there, something about the fire that has ignited her soul, something has happened to her. And when she gets in the presence of the one who promised that he could take the burden from her, to remove the sin from her, to cleanse her, to be able to make her whole and new and fresh and accepted and forgiven. When she got nearby, something happened. Her desire to be near him overcame every inhibition she had. She just realized all the things that would say no, I don't care about anymore. Everything that would say, you know better than to do this, don't you? I don't care. You, you know what it's going to be like by all those judgmental people around the table with him, don't you? I understand and I don't care. I'm going anyway. You're, you're going to be embarrassed. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to shun you. They're going to treat you like dirt, like they always do. All those inhibitions just gone. Why? Because she had a desire to be near him. When Jesus calls you, and you know it's the voice of Jesus calling you, you don't care. You just want to be near him. And so she came, and Jesus extends that invitation to every one of us, personally. Now, when Jesus didn't go before the whole crowd in that Matthew 11 passage and say, excuse me, aren't you a woman of the city? Why don't you come to dinner with me tonight? That's not what happened. He spoke to the group. He's speaking to us as a group today. And he's saying, what are you carrying? What kind of weight are you bearing? What kind of troubles are heavy on your soul? He said, I want you to come to me. 
Now, you can give every reason you want as to why this is not the time and it's really not that big a deal and that's not really the place or the time or the, you know, no, this is not what I need to do. All the inhibitions can keep us from responding to his invitation to come. This woman says, my desire to be near him is going to overcome everything that would keep me from being there. Secondly, her need to be forgiven overcame her reluctance. More than just the desire to be near, she heard him say, there's forgiveness, there's relief, there's hope, come. And the sins that cried out against her, the things that were accusing her, that were leaving her burdened, that were leaving her broken, they were unbearably reminding her every morning when she got up and every night when she went to bed of her guilt and why she would never be accepted by a holy and pure and glorious God. And now her need to be forgiven is placed alongside someone who has the capacity to do that. She's not reluctant anymore. Something is stirred in her hearts. And if she heard Christ's invitation to come, it needed something more than a polite and indifferent response. You know you're right. I need to turn my life around. I need to turn over a new leaf. You know what? I need to have a, a springtime revelation of just brand new things. I think I'm just going to change. That's not what she felt. She was absolutely stricken with the reality of her own sinfulness and the fact that there was no way out. I need what I can't get for myself. I need what no religious leader in the Pharisaical community or in all of Judaism can provide for me. They've ignored me. They've pushed me away. They have shunned me. They have mercilessly treated me as if I were just the scum of the earth. And here's one who said he can relieve me. Her need for forgiveness overcame all the reluctance that may have been in her heart. And so she comes. And as she finds herself in the presence of Jesus, what does she do? Right off the bat, she begins to weep. Do you know how sweet our tears are to our Savior? When's the last time you cried because of the grace and the mercy and the grace of Christ? When was the last time tears welled up in your eyes when you realized what a great and glorious Savior he is? Dry eyes... And cold hearts are not pleasing to a Savior who gave everything for us to have life in his name. I remember when I first came to Christ, I was a nine-year-old kid at a fall revival at our church in Burlington, North Carolina. And I don't remember who was preaching. It was one of those weeks when they had all the, the at our church, they called them all the preacher boys came home that week. And they had ordained all these guys and sent them out to churches and being evangelists and all this stuff. And they, they took turns. One would preach at lunch uh, service and, and one would lead the music. In the evening, another one would preach and another one would lead the music. And they did this all week. Sometime during that week, when I was nine years old, I gave my life to Christ one of those nights. And I don't remember much about it. I don't remember too many of the details. I don't even remember which one of those guys was preaching. I just remember as a nine-year-old boy. starting to cry. I don't know why. And yet I did know why. And they give an, give an invitation that was a part of the tradition. Come. And I, I raced down there to the front, knelt down. Some old guy with bad breath came up and prayed over me. 
<laughs> Always carry a breath mint when you go. Please. And he prayed over me, and, and I'm weeping, and I don't know exactly what's going on, except that that's when the grace of God broke my heart. And that's when I wept over my sin. And that's when I realized what this woman understood. I, all my buddies are going to make fun of me if I go down there. I don't want to go down there. I got lots of friends. My little buddy James Richards over there. And we're going to have a fun time next week at church, you know, sitting in the back row and opening the hymn book and making fun of all the hymn. We're going to have fun time. I, 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 can't, I can't worry about James Richard anymore. I can't worry about the fact that my grandma and grandpa on my dad's side are sitting three rows behind me. What are they going to think? Get back here and sit down. What are you doing? You're too young to understand all this. My grandparents on my mother's side sitting on the other side of the room. My mom playing the organ. My dad singing in the choir. I got three brothers. They're going to rip me when I get home. My reluctance was gone when I understood forgiveness. Her need for forgiveness overcame that reluctance. The third thing that happens is that her brokenness overcame all the outward reserve. You know, well, yes, I, I need to pray and receive Jesus as my Savior, you know. Yeah, she's crying. She's got, it's, I'm guessing, I didn't picture this, but it's probably an ugly cry. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, there's, and then there's weeping. And she was crying so much that tears were falling off her cheeks onto the feet of Jesus and then it doesn't give much detail about that but you can imagine she's standing there weeping over his feet and then she looks down and sees you just made a mess girl you, I mean he didn't get his feet washed when he come in so there's kind of a little muddy plop, plop of mud right here created by his dirty feet and your tears and she sees all this and then she kneels down and begins to take her own hair down and wipe up the mess drying his feet with her hair. The, the outward reserve doesn't let you do that, does it? I mean, how much time did you put together getting your hair just right before you came tonight and then boom, you've got it all down and you've got it, tears and mud all mixed together? No. See, broken people are not picky people. Broken people are not the kind of people who cannot respond except in their own way. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Well, some people worship that, but I worship in my own way. Well, you might want to let your way line up with Scripture every now and then, just once in a while. That Pharisee was going, like, I worship in my own way and the own the things that I do in the temple, and I, I do it my way. And Jesus says, why don't you try my way? And so her brokenness overcame that reserve that all of us had. The facade that we want to keep in place. The sense of propriety. The sense of what we want to define is the, our way of responding to the Lord. We've got to once in a while just kind of pull that back out and look at it and think, Lord, this is what I've defined. Is this your way? Is this the way you want me to respond? Outward reserve, facades, no. Sometimes we need to be able to say, you know, when your insides are crashing and your heart is broken and the weight of sin has just absolutely crushed you, it's time to forget about the reserve and just get on your knees before the Savior. And so she did. And so her love, in that moment when she realized that this is the right place to be, this is the right one to be with, 
her love overcame her interest in personal possessions, personal reputation, any of that stuff. Between the invitation that afternoon and the dinner party that night, she had to go buy her house. She didn't just carry around an alabaster vial of perfume. It's like, you kind of keep that in your purse? No, she had to go home. And when she went home, she picked up probably the most valuable thing she owned. I don't know that, but these, these things were extremely valuable. And so she brings that with her to the party. And I have an idea. She's thinking when she gets there, I'll just give it to him. Again, can't prove that, don't know that. So dis- discard that if you don't want that to be a part of the story. It's okay. But, but what happens when she gets there, she's wiping his, his feet with her tears and her hair. And then, boom. What else am I going to do with this valuable asset that is worthy of more than this moment? And so she breaks the alabaster vial, pours the perfume on him in an act of worship that just says, I have nothing, I am nothing, I own nothing that is worth holding on to if I can just be poured out for you. That old Steve Green song, Steve, uh, Eddie and I were talking about, wouldn't it be great to be able to have that, that song by Steve Green broken and spilled out oh, for the love of you, Jesus? You remember that song? You want me to sing it now? No. <laughs> Eddie's going, please no, please no. It's going well up to this point. Don't do that. But that's what it is, that broken and spilled out sense where she was holding nothing back out of her profound love for this man, Jesus. Her pride, her past, her possessions, her passions, all poured out on him in this moment. The rest of the folks at the table, the Pharisee, Simon included, are just going like, you've got to be kidding me. What an inappropriate display. I, I love the list power. It wasn't just Simon. It says those who, in verse 49, those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, what in the world? Who does he think he is saying he can forgive? So nobody got it but Jesus and the woman. And you hope maybe somebody else around the table saw it and, and got it. But it doesn't say that anybody did but her. And so here we are this morning asking the question, what about us? Polite, respectable. We love Jesus. Yes, we do. Well, you got to let your heart and your life in on it, don't you? We, we have a profound love for Jesus, you know. Well, we, we got we to gotta be able to kind of let go of the stuff that she let go of. No more inhibitions holding her back. No more reluctance to come. No, no more outward reserve keeping her respectably with the facade in place. No more link to just my personal possessions. It's all for Jesus all the time. That was her commitment. And that's what she did. And she just took that valued treasure and she just... The most valuable thing I can do with this is to pour it on Jesus. Now, when this lady did this, she showed the better of the two responses. Pull no punches. We, we know the Pharisee. He was the bad guy. We, we got that. She is the hero of the story. Why? Because what she did, and I don't want you to miss this at all. What she did reflects what Jesus did. I know you don't need me to explain that, but I'm going to anyway because I'm a pastor. That's what we do. 
we explain the obvious. What we see her doing is the way he did this for us. A sacrificial and extravagant love Jesus has for us was poured out on us. She didn't even know about the cross. She didn't know the messianic teachings about the atonement. She didn't know all the details of the theological ramifications for all this stuff. She just knows Jesus loves me. This I know. I don't even have a Bible to tell me so. I just have him to tell me. And the way the woman loved Jesus gives us just this small glimpse into the magnitude of his great love for sinners like her and like me and like you. Just as the alabaster box was broken and poured out on his feet, so his body was broken and his love through his blood was poured out for you and for me. We can't miss this. We can't miss the beauty of it. This effusive, this overwhelming love, this overpowering sense of his nearness, this affection that he has for us. And so in Romans chapter 5, it says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. He, he doesn't medicine dropper his love into us. You, you understand that, right? There is a pouring out of his love upon us. And, and then over also in, in Titus, it says that, that we have been washed by the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's this pouring out, the breaking of the body. The incarnate one was broken for us. His blood was spilled out for us. It was poured onto us as his magnificent love was manifest to us. And then his spirit was poured into us so that these hearts that were just tinderboxes ready to be ignited could catch fire and burn. You remember the guys on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? It says, we're not our hearts burning within us as he explained to us all the scriptures concerning himself. Folks, there's a fire that burns in those who catch it and understand it. And so when you think of how Jesus sees you, does he see the polite, the respectful, the arm's length? Jesus, you can have all of me that I want to give you, but there's a lot that you're not going to get. Because I have my way, and that way I will not violate. And so Jesus comes to this lady and says, you know what, Simon, Pharisee, I like her way better. I like somebody who pours out all for me with no regard for what's to come. He says, you need to give yourself to me. You need to give me your greatest treasure. You need to pour out all that you are for me. So he says, your, your willingness to walk with me, your willingness to conform to my character, your, your personal ambitions, your time, your money, your relationships, your personal purity, your service for Christ, your meekness, your humility, your extravagant, unreserved worship, all that, he says, comes when you're ready to be broken and spilled out for me. And the extravagance of the love that I have demonstrated to you, I want to see you 
responding to me in the same way. The temptation we, we face, every one of us, every day, is how much of Jesus is in us and how much of us is going to be given to Jesus. He says to this guy, let me tell you this story. He told him the story. You understand what I'm saying to you? The guy's like, uh, you know, whatever. The woman totally got it. She went out of there radically transformed because Jesus had forgiven her. Ma'am, your sins are forgiven. Ma'am, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a great encounter with Christ. This portion of the gospel, it just is a beautiful mirror for each one of us. Where are we today? Two choices, Pharisee, the woman of the city. And Jesus says, I gotta tell you, this is the one that brings the light to my heart. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we want to be transformed. We want you to shake things up in our lives. Lord, we want you to light a fire in us that can't be put out. Break, break open that river of tears that's welled up within us and we refuse to let it go because of all the reasons that we give ourselves, rationalizing why we can only give reserved portions of ourselves to you. Lord, may we come to have such gratitude for your grace that there is nothing that we hold back and that there is nothing that we would ever keep in our hands when you've asked us to give it. So, Father, may we be servants of yours for the glory of your name and for the exalted name of your Father to be praised in and through us as the world around us begins to see us differently because of what grace has done and forgiveness has come and the spirit and the love of Christ have been poured out within us. Lord, take us away from here today, looking at our hearts through the mirror that you've put before us of this text. In Christ's name we pray, amen.